Hey, I know it's been a while. We're going to start trying to get things back going. I plan to sit today and record all of our podcasts for March. Um, For those of you who've never been here, this is chapter one where I sit down with books I'm reading, I've read, I've loved, I might want to read, or just popular and read you just that, chapter one. So uh, today we're starting with one that I'm almost finished with. It's a children's book, but I picked it up because the name's hilarious. Um, It's Richard Peck's here lies the librarian, and as some as you, some of you may know, I do work at a library, so um, it just kind of spoke to me. So um, anyway, it uh, opens up like most books listing the author's um, previous work or other works he has, gives a dedication, and then um, so here lies the librarian has a part one. Uh, which obviously is where chapter one is, and it is called An Ill Wind. So let's go ahead and dive in for um, chapter one of Here Lies the Librarian. Chapter one, Twister in the Graveyard. I was cleaning carbon off of a set of spark plugs with an emery cloth when my big brother Jake barged in, soaked to the skin. Twister, he said, down around Rochdale. So we'd need to be underground before it got up by North Salem. Luckily, it was broad daylight, so you could see the particular tornado coming. What we didn't know was that it was going to tear up the graveyard. Just in case, I dawdled. Jake took my arm in his big grip and ran me outside. This shed was the last place you'd want to be. In fact, it could be the last place you ever were. It was dirt floored without a cellar. A rickety canopy hung from the front, propped by two posts. A light summer breeze could lay the whole place flat. It had started life as a livery stable. With hope in our hearts, we were calling it a garage now. We'd made an up-to-date sign to hang outside Jake and Pee Wee's garage. Get gas? Flats fixed? Free air. It was flapping in the wind now, and so were we. Jake and I lit up through the grape arbor across old Colonel Hazelrig's property. His storm cellar was round back where the land slopes up. It was a stout oak door set at a slant into a mound of earth. The wind bent us double, and I lost my cap. It took all Jake's muscle to pull the door open. The wind squealed like pigs to the slaughter. Get in there, Pee-wee, he yelled in my ear. I'll go for the colonel. Colonel Hazelrig wasn't apt to take shelter in his outhouse as underground. I scuttled down stone steps, and the door dropped to above me. At first, it was dark as a grave, but there were chinks enough to see. Though without my cap, my hair was in my eyes. It came to me I wasn't alone. Over in the corner was what looked like a furry, toothy creature of field or ditch. I squinted, and it was Aunt Hat Hazelrig. She squinted back. As she was plastered from stem to stern with feathers from her Rhode Island Reds, 
The tornado must have caught her trying to chase her chickens into the brooder house. I marveled that a woman that ancient and puny could lift the storm cellar door by herself. But she had an arm on her. She slumped in silence. A woman of few words. The storm cellar doubled as cold storage. It's where you keep your apples and onions and potatoes through the winter. And anything you'd put up. Aunt Hat hunched under a shelf of glass jars. Webbed together. Gray pickled pig's feet. The rain hammered the door above us. And found all the chinks. I was blinder than a mole. When the door jerked open and Jake threw in sparks. He was an old hound dog that hung around the garage. Though he wasn't quite ours, he wasn't anybody else's either. We called him Sparks. I don't know what his name was. He hit hard, and his tongue dealt me a glancing blow. Colonel Hazelrig stumbled in next, handed down by Jake, with water running off both of them. The colonel sagged against me, Looked like he was wearing his Romeo bedroom slippers. Luck was with us because he had his pants on. Jake followed, and when the door dropped down again, it was a full house. We hunkered on the wet stones, our knees intermingled. Sparks shook a gallon of rainwater over us. Colonel Hazelrig fought for breath, but he rallied. Keep your heads down, boys, he said. Them rebs can see around corners. And for the sake of the girls and women, you left behind. Keep your powder dry. The colonel could be clear in his mind, sometimes for long stretches. But any quick change, anything sudden, and he was back fighting the Civil War. The wind roared like a freight train and sparks clawed the floor, trying to get lower. Then came that awful silence, and you could feel the air being drawn out of your lungs. The light through the chinks was sulfur yellow. We were in the eye of the storm. Boys, said the colonel, let us pray. You lose track of time, but by and by the wind came round again. The rain drove in waves, pushing the door. Every time a big limb struck it, we rattled around like a box of loose parts. A while longer, and the wind began to wind down. You could get your breath back. Never trust the quiet, the colonel warned. Be not deceived. They's a sharpshooter in every tree. A skirmish back of the, every brush. One of them bullets could be engraved with your name. Aunt Hat sighed. When we couldn't even hear a spatter of rain, Jake shouldered open the door, and it fell back. Black clouds boiled above us. Sparks leaped out and charged off in every direction. It appeared to be night on him, and he was looking for a moon to bay at. Jake pulled the colonel out, and I followed. Between us, we set Aunt Hat on her pins. She looked around. Not a window pane of, her, of their sloping house was cracked, but the big lilac bush beside it was nothing but naked twigs now, rising off the drifts of purple snow. The grape arbor was pretty much down to tendrils. The colonel's bold nose consulted the wind, and his old eyes blazed. Le blazed. Leaves whipped out of his white hair. He was a sight. He seemed to think the rebels were in full retreat. Aunt Hat 
had on the Civil War forage cap she wore for a gardening hat. Her skirts were tucked up in a web belt also from the war. She wandered off to count her chickens. Down by the road, the garage still stood, even the canopy. Our house next door, Jake's and mine, survived, though with fewer shingles. The colonel turned on us and seemed to sheathe his sword, but he was naturally not allowed anything sharp. Though a dead ringer for General Robert E. Lee, he was fighting on the other side. All present and accounted for? We were, so Jake thought we'd head uptown to see the damage there. The air was, was still full of stuff. Strike the tents, the colonel commanded, and we headed out. We all lived on the outskirts, way out in the weeds. Between us and town was Beulah Land Cemetery. The road was a mess, every hoofprint brimmed with rainwater. Out in the ruts, we saw trouble. A shade tree out of the middle of the graveyard was crossways in a ditch. Great big tree with the loose dirt blowing off its roots. A bald buzzard thudded down in the field opposite. It was the spitting image of old Judge Ransom. Jake muttered something and broke into a lope. Though, when you think about it, there was no real hurry. A woven wire fence enclosed the cemetery. That's as far as Sparks went. The fur rose all around his backbone, and he whined and talked to himself and edged backwards. I wasn't enjoying overjoyed myself. We went in by the gate, and all the pathways were blocked with wet brush. We knew a good many of the residents, though the, though the oldest part went back to the 1830s. I looked for... Othmar Gunderson, though he was before my time. Othmar Gunderson, 1844 to 1897, late teacher of Hoosier Grove School, struck by lightning while returning from the school outhouse. Ah, sweet misery of life. And would you believe it? There was my cap right there on top of the Gunderson gravestone, like the tornado had gently placed it there. I grabbed it and caught up with Colonel, the Colonel and Jake, pushing through fallen limbs ahead of me. Jake looked back. Pee-wee, this is about as far as you need to go. The twister had skipped across a graveyard like a stone across a pond. Every whip stitch you could see, the earth turned up in big, raw heaves. There was stuff in the trees, too, that ought not be there. My heart was in my mouth. I looked past the colonel and Jake and saw the tornado had opened a grave. The coffin was thrust up and the lid of it elsewhere. At least it wasn't Mama. I was sure of that. Mama was buried under a willow over by an open field. So, of course, like a fool, I had to take a look. The coffin was half out of the ground at a sharp angle. It had a mahogany finish. The metal label Screwed to it read, Every wood part guaranteed, guaranteed stove dried. Apex cabinetry and coffins. Bean Blossom, Indiana. All work to your specifications. Never a complaint. The colonel was examining the coffin's con contents. He pulled on his beard, and I suppose he thought he was at Gettysburg.
but I was wrong. Well, looky there. If it ain't Gladys Poundstone, Gladys Gilmore as was, I took her to the victory ball the Republicans give when U.S. Grant was elected in 1868. Howdy, Gladys! Jake was looking around for the lid. I peered past him into the coffin. Being 14, I often acted before I thought. What I noticed first was that Gladys Gilmore Poundstone's hair had kept growing long after death. It flowed a yellowed white from her gray skull down to cover most of her face mercifully. Across her sunken bosom, her hands were clasped, and there was precious little flesh on them. Her fingernails had kept on growing, too. You don't want to know how long. Her dress was several stained shades of green and long out of style now. I was thinking about being sick. Well, dog my cats, Gladys. Colonel Hazelrig shook his old head. Imagine you turning up after all this time. Jake found the lid and brought it back. It had screwed down, but the screws were sh uh, were shredded. Never mind. He and I both had pockets full of nails. I always kept the ones I found in punctured inner tubes. Jake was never without a claw hammer on his belt loop. He was building an automobile of his own design from parts, so he was a walk-in tool chest. I breathed easier after we got the lid back on. Without shovels, we couldn't bury it again, but we couldn't make the lid tight against critters until the gravediggers could get out here. I turned to go over and check on Mama, just to be sure. Pee-wee, don't go that way, Jake said with a nail in his mouth. Go around. But why go around? Anywhere you turn was skinned bark and brush up to your... Then I saw there was something up a tree between here and Mama. I wanted it to be a wad of old rags, but if it was, they were wearing boots. Still, I wanted it to be anything but what it was. A scarecrow, maybe. It wasn't. It was a skeleton in the rotten rags of a dress, suit, and boots. The boots had wooden soles, so he dated back a ways. The tornado had dug him up, blown him out of his box, and wedged him in the high crotch of a Dutch elm. From his ragged coat sleeves, finger bones hung down. I gagged. I can't call him by name offhand, the colonel remarked, but he belonged to the Masonic Lodge, you can see his apron from here, I retched. By now, I was crashing through the undergrowth, uh, making for Mama. I was nearly there when something soft and damp slapped my face. I reined in and pulled back. It was a sickening pink with fringe, blanket-sized, and sagging to, uh, snagged to two trees, like laundry on a line. It was a shroud, shell pink. The tornado had dug up some other coffin, unwound this shroud from somebody, some body, and flung it for these trees to catch. I whimpered and darted forth, head low. Now I was crazy to know if Mama 
was undisturbed. At last, I'd picked my way to the fence line where she was. A willow wept over her, and the headstone was untouched. McGrath, Elva Hickenlooper, 1869-1907, called back. I dropped down to clear the brush away. Sheltered beneath a cluster of white violets, a bloom. I planted them one time when I was visiting her. She'd been gone half my life, and I couldn't quite recall her like I wanted to. Now I only remembered remembering her. Papa wasn't with her, or anywhere near. He'd never been able to settle down after Mama died. In the end, he drifted down to Mexico, hoping to hook up with uh, Pancho Villa. When he got in the way of a firing squad, they buried him where he fell. As I turned away from Mama, I noticed Miss Diaz, Diaz's grave, over there by a sticker bush. The wind had spared her, too. She'd been the town librarian back when we had one. Her stone read, Electra Diaz, 1851 to 1912. Shh, here lies the librarian. After years of service, tried and true, heaven stamped her overdue. It was no surprise to me that the tornado had left her be. Nothing could stir Miss Diaz's stumps as much as a coming after you for a book fine. She, we'd cross swords once too often, and I'd been banned for life from the library at the age of 10. When they found her checked out under the card catalog, the board of trustees took the opportunity to shut down the library. It saved the township a $650 annual salary, and it was okay by me. As quick as I could get my school days behind me, I meant to be an auto mechanic like at my brother's garage, and a good one. Nothing about the library had a thing to do with yours truly. That's what I thought. And being 14, I believed me. I so far have thoroughly enjoyed this book and it is nothing like you think it is going to be it's very much a coming of age story and i love peewee and the changes that the characters go through it's just been delightful anyway i hope you pick it up that is chapter one of here lies a librarian by richard peck thanks see y'all later